0: Today's podcast is brought to you by my book, The Sex Spiral Forgiven and Free from Pornography. The Sex Spiral will teach you God's design for sexuality, the triggers that lead to porn addiction, and how to exit the sex spiral with a purity plan for your life. You can order online at Amazon.com or any other retailer. Hey, thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy today's show.
1: The Dustin Daniels Show. Unashamedly, proclaiming God's purity through His Son, Jesus Christ. Devoted to saving marriages. Dedicated to protecting children. Addressing sex with biblical truth and without shock value. You're listening to the Intersection of Life and Lust. Call toll-free at 1-855-5DUSTIN. And now, here's your host, Purity Pastor, Dustin Daniels.
0: Do you remember this game as a child? The one where you take a flower, and the precious little girl would slowly pluck the petals off that flower and say, He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. I wonder how many of us, men and women, have unknowingly brought this seemingly harmless little game into our adult life. It could be certainly with our marriage, but let's ponder this question with the relationship we have with Almighty God. Is it possible that we have turned this little childhood game into our theology when it comes to knowing our Heavenly Father? Do we think God loves us more based upon our attitudes and our actions, or is it really possible that He would love us for the sole purpose of loving us because we're His children? My guest today will certainly give you a lot of food for thought when it comes to this idea, this concept of living in the Father's love. Wayne Jacobson is the founder of Lifestream Ministries. You can visit lifestream.org, and he is also the host of the podcast, The God Journey. He's a pastor, contributing editor for Christian magazines, author of many, many books. And if that's not enough, he's the founder of a publishing company, Wayne is married to Sarah, he has two children along with grandchildren, and he is deeply committed to personal relationships rather than programs within the context of organized religion. Wayne, welcome to the Dustin Daniel Show. Thank you, Dustin, it's good to be with you. Hey, I have been listening to you and your podcast for years, and (laughs) it is such a pleasure, man, to have you on the show. I, I feel like I know you, I'm not kidding. Oh, that's great. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Can you give us a lot, a little bit more background on your own journey of being a pastor and kind of where you are now?
2: Yeah, I was, I was a pastor for 20 years from the, my early 20s into early 40s. Um, just that, you know, I, I had a passion to help people connect with this God that we love and that I was touched by as a young man. And the only way I knew to do that was to go into ministry of some kind, missionary, pastor, or something. So I I went some of that route. Found the the pastoring route uh, at, at some points, you know, powerful, wonderful. At other points, very frustrating for all the political details you had to deal with instead of really helping people grow in Christ. So. About 20 years ago, we left that, and uh, Sarah and I, we just celebrated our 39th uh, year together.
0: Wow, congratulations. Uh,
2: yes, we just started 40. Um, but uh, we've just continued to, to be on a journey that says, what is, what is the best way that we can find to help people connect with this God of the universe who wants to know us, walk with us, and in the knowing and walking with us, transform us to be like He wants us to be in the world. So, we've had a lot of fun doing it. Right now, we just, I, you know, I write, I travel, I hang out with people. We talk about this journey, and we help people settle in on an affection-based relationship with God instead of what I was for first 40 years of my life, trying to appease God all the time, trying to please Him and keep Him on my side in
0: some way. And you are the author of a book called He Loves Me, Learning to Love in the Father's Affection, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Give us the big picture behind this book. What, what led you to write it?
2: Well, it was the biggest a transition in my life uh, came at about 42 as I said early mm-hmm. on first 40 years i'm I'm engaged with God I'm captured by him I want to be one of his kids in the world, earth and You know, I'm one of those goody-two-shoe Pharisee, obnoxious, (laughs) arrogant kind of kids growing up, and I think pastor in the early days.
0: Oh, goodness. Uh,
2: Because I could do it. I'm one of those Pharisee-type people. I I can actually, by strength of will, do a whole lot of good, but as Paul says, it only drives the sin deeper. Right. Instead of your sin being maybe the, the sexual, outward things everybody recognizes, it's that religious arrogance that's destructive to people. It wasn't until I was about 42 that I really came to grips with the fact that I was loved by God. Now, theologically, I knew it. I taught about it. We sing songs about Jesus loves me, God loves me. Uh, So it wasn't that I didn't know it intellectually, but I didn't live like it was true. I lived like God's love was something I had to earn every day, and most days fell short of finding it. So this book was an attempt to help other people. been caught up in that appeasement trap to find a way to live inside the affection of God which has been the singular most transforming reality in my life ever since
0: well and it and it shows Wayne because when I read this book God has gifted you my friend to be able to put into words what I have been feeling for you know a decade of like wow just so many Wow moments when I was reading it Mm -hmm. this thought. Uh, maybe a question. Does God truly delight in me or in you, Wayne, simply by being his child?
2: And, and why wouldn't he? I mean, I'm I'm a parent and I've got now three grandchildren. And as I told people, I wasn't prepared to love my granddaughter the night she was born. I mean, I, I thought I would, but I have such a I've loved my kids, enjoyed my kids, delighted my kids. And my daughter went through 32 hours of very painful labor mm giving birth to our first kid. And I'm in the waiting room just dying for my little girl and what she's going through. And when I finally walked in that room after the baby was born and got a chance, I just I just wanted to grab my daughter and hug her and tell her how much I loved her and how proud I was of her, what she had done. And I wasn't prepared when I caught sight of that little bundle just laying on her chest, this little Amy. Man, and I knew the moment I laid eyes on her, before she had done one thing to trigger it, that I love that little girl. That was my daughter's girl and I loved her. And God, Jesus said that we could take our own parenting and apply it to the Father. It, only you got to multiply it by a billion that God is so much better than we are at parenting. And if we delight in our own kids, how much more does God delight in his? And yeah, I think we all of us we we capture the Father's heart and affection. He he doesn't love us because he has to because he should because he's committed to he looks at each of us when we awaken to the day with a deeper affection than we do our own children or grandkids. And that's where the relationship begins.
0: You talk about daisy-petal Christianity in your book. What, what exactly is that? Uh,
2: you started well in the intro, you know, the old pluck and flower game, trying to figure <laughs> out if the, if the boy or the girl you like likes you back. Yeah which is a pretty stupid game. We play it with our circumstances, I think. We play it with God. You know, if, if life is well, if my children are healthy, if my income stream is uh, what I want it to be, you know, then I must be blessed. God must be on my side. Life is good. God's good. And uh, when something turns dark, when I'm diagnosed with cancer or my my parents are, when uh, I lose my job, when sickness encroaches in our life, then we, we've got that. I, he doesn't love me because look at all, all the mess I'm in. And, and I think intuitively, and I think it's less the game we learn than it is the shame that dominates our hearts after the fall. We are shame-based people outside of the cross. And that shame seeks to earn what it cannot earn. And so we're always trying to probe through, does God like me or not? And uh, i I played that game for years. I think uh, a lot of the Christians I've dealt with have played that game, trying to pick through our circumstances. And if they're good, feeling loved. And if they're not good, feeling unloved. And uh, it's a horrible way to live because it's just not true.
0: You know, I, I we always kind of go to the difficulties in life, don't we? Where do, You mentioned shame. Is that just our default mode when things start going wrong, Wayne? And we think, well, if God really loved me, then why am I going through this circumstance?
2: I, I think it's also our default mode when things are good. Because I think boasting and pride, that's the other side of shame. Mm. I, I'm better than you because my life is good. And that's even a, a worse kind of shame. That's that we talked earlier about the Pharisee kind of sure. religious arrogance. And I, I think that that shame of boasting, of feeling like I'm better than you, that, that's what drove me. I mean, gee, when I was a pastor and working hard, praying more than anybody I knew, reading the Bible more, doing more work than anybody else I knew, then I could feel superior to everybody around me. And, and so shame is just our default. It was what Adam and Eve, the first moment they bit into that fruit, they sense their own nakedness and shame and their own fear of each other and their fear of God. And all of it kind of snowballed, I think, from that initial sense of we'll do life our own way. The next part of that is how shamed we are, particularly when God comes near in the the face of the holy, how unworthy we are and despicable we are. And there's that whole sense of personal shame that overwhelms all of us. And until the cross changes that, uh we're we're going to be stuck there
0: there's a lot of cycles or maybe like an endless loop that offers no resolutions you you say this in your book that if i can't please him until i'm certain of his love but he'll he will not love me if i can't please him and it's i see that cycle in my life i see it in in other people's life as well uh, you just mentioned the cross being the, the resolution. And for us to grasp the nature of that resolution within the cross is, to me, it seems incomprehensible. What do you think?
2: Yeah, no, I think the, the endless loops are false. There's something in them that isn't true. The last part of the one we mentioned, I can't please him until I'm certain of his love for me, but he will not love me if I cannot please him. It's the second part of that that isn't true. God's love for us is constant, it's real, it's deep. It it doesn't depend on our performance at all. Uh, We've been taught that it does. We've been taught that, you know, God will love you more if you do more for Him, or if you're, you know, doing the right things He wants you to do. The fact is, God loves us even when we're lost. I I look at the parable of the prodigal, and I don't think that father loves the son any less when he's out wasting his dad's money with prostitutes and serving in a pig farm. I don't think that dad loves him less, the son lives less in the reality of that affection. That's what's true. But it's not that he's less loved by the father, because the father still loves him and anguishes even in his pain and even in his in his torment. So it's it's not a lack of love. Love is the only constant, I think, in the universe, that God's affection for us is constant. And whether I know it or not, whether I'm living in the reality of it or not, whether I'm can embrace that affection that that's where the drama of the story is how are we going to live in that reality but he, he does love us and and so the first part of that is what's really true i'll never learn to please him until i learn to live in that affection until i can accept it till i can receive it here here to me is the most mind-blowing thing of the incarnation god was going to win through affection what fear could never win Fear could get us to do what God wanted in the in the moment we were afraid, but fear could never win us into a relationship. Only His affection can, and and what I see in the incarnation as God now saying, "I'm going to win by love and affection, what fear and obedience could never win." And He does. And when I when that happens in my life, then everything about the way I relate to Him and the world around me begins to shift and change. And living love now, I live free of the very things that. Keep me from walking in life with him.
0: How does that click for us, Wayne? When did that click for, you mentioned at 42, that was kind of a uh, another chapter in your own journey. Give us some food for thought on how to actually, okay, I understand what you're saying. I need to just calm down and not work so hard and, and try so hard to please God, but I, I feel like I need to do something. So what is it that I need to do or stop do? It's more of stop doing, right? <laughs> it's
2: a lot of stuff. Well, once again, yeah.
0: it's an endless loop, right?
2: It could be if, if we go that way. I, I, I think the whole passion for, for humanity, I've got to do something, is, is a shame response. It's still coming from a place of I'm in control here. I've got to do better. It all comes back to me. And as long as we're stuck there, we're going to be stuck. We're going to be stuck for a long time. I, learning to live in the Father's affection begins as a revelation. It, it happens because God makes it known in their heart. Love is something he wins us into. And it's hard for people who want the how-to book. I don't look at he loves me as the how-to book. I, a lot of it is the how-not-to book. <laughs> and, when, and when I hear people say, gosh, we got to try harder, I'm going, no, hold on a minute. We don't have to do anything we've got to learn to slide into that place of the Father's affection because it's what's real. I I use the expression a lot, relaxing into the reality of the Father's affection. Because the fact is, he already has it for you, whether you know it or not, see it or not, believe it or not. You're still the object of his affection. So that's the reality I want to relax into. And if there's a do in it, the only thing I tell people to do is this, they wake up every morning and say, Father, would you show me your affection today? Would you show me? how you love me. I want to know it. And then just look for him to do that. So it's the opening of our heart. If there's a do. That's about as far as we get to do. <laughs> Father, I'm open. I'm seeking. I'm knocking. I'm looking. Now, would you reveal that love to me? And, and Paul's story, I think, is such a compelling one on the road to Damascus and getting getting knocked to the dirt and blinded. And, and later, he says about that moment, it's the love of God that compels us. It what He engaged in that moment of his failure and being caught in his failure and killing jesus's people in jesus in god's name and jesus confronts him face to face and instead of being angry he finds affection in the face of that jesus and that changed everything for paul now i know i'm loved and i I tell people you've got to know that and it takes time when we open our hearts i tell people take two years don't don't think this has got to happen by next week next friday just begin to say God, would you show me your love and affection, and would you untwist in me what seems to argue against the fact that you love me and help me learn to relax into that reality? It will happen. I've talked to people who say, you know, it's been six, eight months, it's been this, it's not happening. I say, you know, just keep it before him, because God is doing a work in you, and he brings us to that moment. It's not like he waits two years. It's not that at all. It's just the untwisting in our heart and mind until we can relax into the reality that already is true.
0: Today on the show, we have Wayne Jacobson, author of He Loves Me, Learning to Live in the Father's Affection. You can visit Wayne at lifestream.org, and we are discussing this book, He Loves Me. And Wayne, you know, God obviously knows how difficult this is for us to take Time to unwind what we've learned through our worldview, whatever, however we've grown up. He's not threatened or, or angry, is he? Well, if we're trying to do this, what's this is a struggle. And you mentioned time. I think God's a, a big fan of time within the struggle, correct?
2: No, absolutely. God, God's not as threatened by our struggle as we are, for sure. God's able to say, listen, I I know where you are, I know where you're stuck, and I realize it's going to take some time, because God just doesn't want to wave his magic wand and we're all better. God's transforming us at the deepest core of our being. So why wouldn't that take some time, even for the God of the ages, to kind of walk us through... Uh, Our broken places and into a place of healing and wholeness and greater light and understanding. And so, no, I I don't think he's threatened at all. I think he's at peace with the fact this is going to take some time. He's also at peace with the fact that he can do this. This is up to him, not us. (laughs) Uh, Other people think Uh. I've got to. How am I going to? Really, God's been God for a long time. He's really pretty good at this. And if we can relax and let him invite us in, um, we'll find such healing and such freedom. uh, Just people wouldn't believe how awesome it is when you come to that place of confidence in his affection.
0: But Wayne, he's he may be a, a big fan of time, but I'm not. I mean, I, I want this stuff done now, right?
2: Yeah, we all do, but that doesn't change the fact that it takes a while. <laughs> it's just easier to give up the angst, I think, than it is to, is to try and serve it.
0: You talk about this idea of the, the tyranny of the favor line in your book. What, what is that?
2: Yeah, well, something I had, and I, as I'm finding lots of other people had as well, there's this favor line of, because we all know we're not perfect. So there's some line that we've drawn in our minds. When I'm good enough, when I'm above that line, then I can have some sense of trust in God's love for me and care for me. He's going to take care of me and bless me. And, and then if I'm not, if I'm below that favor line, I've got too many mistakes in my life and too many failures and too many broken places, and I'm not diligent enough about Bible reading or prayer or whatever, then I'm below that favor line. And then I, I, don't have any expectation about God, and I, I no wonder he beats on me and hates me, no wonder he ignores me because I'm below it. And I talk about the tyranny of that favor line. Is is our sense, in any given day, is my performance earning his affection? And rather than wrestle with that question, we need to just throw it out. The tyranny line is a false thing. I'll never be good enough for him, not on my best day. If this is about Wayne's performance, the game's over before it begins. Mm. About his affection and that I love you, and and your being lost doesn't make you unlovely. It makes you even more endearing. And uh, when we get that sense that lost is not despised, lost is not hated, lost is just lost. And if you love what's lost, you don't hate it more because it's lost. If anything, it's more endearing, and you want to find what's lost and bring it home.
0: So, can we actually obey God and yet not fully trust Him?
2: Well, in the sense of meeting religious obligations, yes, we can. But in the sense of really being obedient to God, if it's not coming from love, if it's not, that's what Romans talks about, if it's not coming from faith, it's sin. So if it's not trust produced, then it's sin. Even if I'm out doing righteous things for God, if I'm trying to do those things to earn something from Him, then in, in that sense, it's still sin, it's still brokenness, it's still going to harm me in the long run.
0: You mentioned mistakes, and a lot of us focus on our failures. And I, I'm wondering, how, how do you think God uses our failures, and this comes right out of your book, to invite us back to himself? He uses the brokenness and the failures and my mistakes to bring him back. Kind of Well, you mentioned the prodigal. Is that, is that a good example?
2: might be a good example. I, I like Peter's example. I like Peter is going to deny Jesus now in the night of his trial at Caiaphas's house. And, and Jesus even warns him, you're going to deny me three times tonight before the dawn. And Peter's just adamant. No, I won't, man. I'll die for you. I'll do anything. And Jesus says, I've already prayed for you, Peter, that your faith fail not and you return and strengthen your brothers. And when I Got sight of this post my learning to live in the love of the Father. I'm thinking, why didn't anybody teach me this Jesus in Sunday school? I didn't, I didn't get this Jesus. I didn't get a Jesus that would pray me through my failures before I'd even committed them. I got the the Jesus that, you know, this is what pleases God. If you die before men, I'll deny you before my Father who's in heaven. And got all this pressure to perform. If that Jesus had been in this story in Luke, then he's got to say to Peter, listen, if you follow me tonight, you're going to make the biggest mistake you can possibly make. I can't redeem you from it. It'll all be over. Don't follow me tonight. Go home, crawl in bed, lock the door, see you Sunday. <laughs> and yet what we have is Jesus saying, listen, I've already prayed for you. I already know this is happening. Somehow our failures, I think, are a big part of us getting to the end of ourselves. Peter thinks he's got enough strength to stay faithful to his friend. He finds out that he doesn't. And I think that's a good lesson, I think, for all of us to think that the best we can perform is never going to be good enough. That what, what needs to happen is that we learn to live in his affection, even when we screw up, even when we make mistakes, that we're still loved. That love will transform us over time. I know some people see that as an excuse. Oh, well, then it doesn't matter. We can fail all we want. God loves us. Who cares? No one knows God's love who doesn't want to keep living in the reality of it. God's love is never an excuse to struggle. But it is our redemption and our confidence in the midst of struggle and failure that God's bigger than we are and that God's inviting us into a reality that's greater than we can do on our own, so he wants to do it through us failures are a great reminder of
0: that I (laughs) i think wayne failures are ultimately the the best way because once you come to the end of yourself i mean it took me well over 20 years of my life as an addict to go wow man what i'm doing is not working and talk about a endless loop of this cycle of sin that i was in once again god being that big fan of time 20 years is a long time to come to the end of yourself and go, wow, I don't I don't have this together. I I really need some help. Wayne, thank you so much for for joining us today. You're welcome. Wayne Jacobson is the author of the book titled He Loves Me, Learning to Love in the Father's Affection. You can visit Wayne at Lifestream.org. Definitely check out his podcast. You're going to totally dig that you want to listen to previous shows, make sure you visit dustindanielsradio.com. You can call one 855 dustin to ask a question on the air. You can join an online free community. Check us out on uh, iTunes. Follow me on Twitter at puritypastor. And remember that the kingdom of God isn't just a lot of talk. It's living and living in God's power. I love you. See you next week.
1: The Dustin Daniels Radio Show is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with regard to the subject matter covered. This information is given with the understanding that neither the host nor the station is engaged in rendering counseling advice for your personal situation. If you need further help, we encourage you to seek the services of a Christ-based counseling professional. For more information on the radio show, visit DustinDanielsRadio.com.